Switching sides. That was a TikTok joke. I got that reference. Switching sides. Yeah, that's all it is. Ca- that was a <laughs> that was a Captain America. I understood that reference. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi, Barbie. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Barbie. (laughs) Great movie. Great movie if you have not already seen it. I loved it. What are all of you drinking today? Emily, please go first. (laughs) Because it is severe thunderstorms in this creepy building that I'm in, which is my church, I needed some comfort. Churches are creepy. You heard it here first. Churches are very creepy, and I will fight anyone on this, um, especially when you're by yourself. I needed some yeah. comfort, and so I did a classic Emily go-to Tetley British Blend black tea in a pretty decent wow. size mug, I might add. That so, is a classic. Yeah. I realized earlier today that I had underhydrated, and I spent a long time out in the sun at work, so I just have a 32-ounce bottle of water. In my favorite glow-in-the-dark green Nalgene. Very nice. Josh? Speak, speaking of green, I'm drinking a green juice because I ate McDonald's for dinner and had mac and cheese for lunch. So <laughs> I'm making up for it, even though I know this is not the same as eating fresh leafy greens. I'm trying to get something in there. Uh, and then I'm also drinking a pastique LaCroix for my fruit. Those are good ones. I, I like that pastique. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, very refreshing. That, that watermelon sugar. So I am Hi. bringing to us a- Watermelon sugar. Hi. Hi. Sorry. It's a great song. It's a great song. So eh, I am texting you a picture. Oh. Both of you. Oh. Um, this will be in the show notes. So feel free to take a look at you want. But it is a picture of a red leather back of a couch where there's like like buttons sewn in. You know, like those fancy leather couches that you'd see in like- a therapist's office or like yeah the good coffee shop this is a great color i'll add kind of a burgundy we're gonna get heady this episode oh we're not talking about the youth group couch no this is not about the youth (laughs) group couch can we use a different phrase other than we're gonna get heady because it sounds too similar like giving head (laughs) oh my god i've never (laughs) we're giving it on the youth group couch (laughs) I literally, <laughs> I've always been uncomfortable with that phrase oh and God. I'm surprised that I've never seen it as an innuendo because I see, I totally do that all the time. Anyway, how have I never seen that phrase that You're way? That's so know. funny. You're welcome. Brought to you Emily. by Pastor Emily. 
Well, do you want to do you want to oh. uh, head us out of here? Okay, so I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take us a little All right. intellectual, and this is gonna be a good follow up to our last episode that we oh. just recorded. If you didn't listen to it from last week, but I promise we're not gonna go too deep. But we are gonna like link to some things. But I'm gonna explain first. So I do have a question for us, but I need to explain to you something first. Oh, all right, a primer. This couch. Th- what do you? What does this couch background remind you of? I already gave you a couple images, but like, what is it? What does it bring to mind for you? Mm, honestly, I know you said leather, but I can kind of see this being like a velvet thing. And my first thought was Bridgerton. Okay. Oh. Mm-hmm. I'll go with that. I'm thinking like hotels. Sure. Uh, cheese graters. Really upscale pews it's, in churches. It's giving what? me um, diamond patterns. If this couch, I'm trying to like lead you to like where like the direction I'm going, but I don't, you might not get there. Um, I feel like now, I feel like now I'm looking for like the hidden picture. If I like slightly unfocus my, yeah. yeah. Do I hold it (laughs) upside down? If I hold it sideways, which actually this exercise that I'm doing is going to be very fitting. And I didn't even intend it to be this way. I just meant it to be a fun segue. People Um, have got to play along in the show notes. Uh, Please. please. The the first link. Look at the picture. So imagine that this couch is like, imagine like a long, lounge couch made out of this material like it's a fancy nice leather long couch okay okay what does that bring to mind well i mean honestly my intrusive thought is just to like run my hands over it like a child sure because of texture and tactile um Uh uh-huh i but i don't want to sit on it yeah okay yeah this is like the couch that your grandma would wrap in plastic yeah yeah it's a nice couch to keep dust off this is the furniture as my dad would say in the art institute in chicago it's art you, you don't actually use it you just look at it or maybe uh like a therapist couch yeah maybe yeah yeah okay it's, well that's where i was leading it's that was, giving that was me the entire place i was leading my other association here is belly buttons oh oh me well take care of me belly buttons so there you go I like to keep it nice and clean okay well to uh, how does emily know a song about emily knows a song about everything and i didn't think belly buttons actually she does was gonna be one of those things but okay okay josh please take us on a ride help us at the therapy so couch. the the whole thing i was trying to get at was the therapist couch the comfy therapist couch comfy and the couch. reason that this is significant and i use that I use that word purposefully here. Significant. Is that we're going to talk about Lacan, who was a psychoanalytic philosopher. Oh, man. And I admittedly am not well read. I will admit that. We will link to a couple things in the show notes where you can like read more in depth. Like we will link to a Medium article who is by a much more smart writer than me. As evidenced by, he doesn't use the phrase much more smart, but his article is an 81 minute read. So Whoa. he goes way in depth about like how this subject that we're going to talk about relates to psychoanalytic thinking. But for our purposes, we're going to be talking about the quilting point. So the quilting point, I just sent you another photo. Um, for those of you who do not have their phones with them right now to look at this photo, imagine, if you will, a semicircle. And the top half of the semicircle, there is a picture of a tree. And the bottom half of the semicircle is the word arbor. 
And there's like some arrows on the side that clearly indicate that like each one is referring to the other. So the quilting point in Lacanian psychoanalytic philosophy, obviously that's a much more broad spectrum than we have to go into here. But the quilting point refers to, in the original French, it means point. It's no, I'm going to butcher it, but it's the original phrase is point de capitan and translated into English it has been translated as the quilting point or the anchoring point. But if it's not obvious yet, I prefer the term the quilting point. It does give Ravel vibes, Ravel vibes. Of Ravel. And Mm -hmm. if uh, you're new to the show, uh, we have chosen the name Ravel as inspired by Rachel Held Evans and also the philosopher Peter Rollins, who is very inspired by psychoanalytic thinking. He is a huge fan of Lacan and Zizek and all of this like modern psychoanalytic philosophy shit. Like he's way more smart about it than I am. But the quilting point specifically refers to the point at which a signifier refers to something signified. So it's basically like pointing out the point at which we give meaning to symbols. So like in the case of the tree, Mm -hmm. imagine if you will, a button on the couch and the quilting point is holding that button to the couch in a way that it might have a little bit of room for flexing, but for all intents and purposes, it's all bound together. We all recognize that is the tree. That is a tree. If I say tree, that's what you think of. If you look at that, you think tree, mm-hmm. right? So that, that has a tight quilting point. And in psychoanalysis, this is usually used to refer to the way that people's quilting points snap or slip in a way that leads to psychosis. And we're not going to talk about religious psychosis on this episode because that's like a whole other can of worms. But I think like for just for like sake of definition, I think we should say that someone losing their beliefs or like questioning their beliefs is not psychosis. That's not the same thing. But what is similar is that like slippage of a quilting point. So like imagine the button coming off of the couch that has mm-hmm. lost its quilting point. Mm. Is another okay. way to say it cuz you use the phrase that is a tight quilting point. Can you refer to loose quilting points? Yes, absolutely. So that's what's kind of interesting about the the whole idea of psychoanalytic thinking when it comes to meaning making and the like like it's all focused on the individual, right? Psychoanalysis. And the the idea of the quilting point is in relation to what Lacan calls the the chain of desire. And that's like this big, big old framework that we don't have time to get into. But the quilting point is like a part of that. You can read more about that on your own if you're interested. It, it is kind of interesting. But like well, one thing that's related that you might have seen before is, or do you know about this painting where there's like a man in like a bowling hat and he's got a green apple in front of his face? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about, Stephen? No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll send you a picture, but you, you, like his face is obstructed by the apple, so you can't see him at all. Okay. Right? Yeah. That's a reference to Lacanian's thinking, where you like desire to see this man and you cannot. The painting is called The Son of Man. Oh. Yeah. And it looks like a very simple painting that like would almost be considered like modern art, but like it's very inspired by this like psychoanalytic idea of desire. So all of that to say, the quilting point is like part of this framework that for Lacan all relates back to desire, right? Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, yes, 
Lacan talks a lot about like slippage and like imagine like a chain of two imagine imagine like two parallel wavy lines that are more like they're close to touching but they're not and then imagine a string that ties them together that's the quilting point so like we we have like these physical realities and then we have all of these words to describe them and it is like this chain of meaning that that quilts our abstract thinking to reality where like words Whoa. make sense to what we're referring to so that's like what lacan is saying with like the signifier versus the signified arbor tree mm-hmm. got it tracking tracking how crazy is that <laughs> that like that's that feels so relevant as a metaphor and like so similar to using ravel and this like untangling raveling language to faith and doubt doesn't that just kind of blow your mind hmm i think i'm seeing the parallels so i I would say that this is a really similar concept to what derrida talks about with the original term deconstruction as in at some point along the way words lose their meaning but i would say that lacan is taking that in a different direction like i actually found some papers so one of my friends was telling me about this a couple weeks ago and i was like oh my god i have to bring this to the pod this is crazy and i like don't know how to bring this up so i like did a little bit of digging on my own and i found some papers that were like dissecting the differences between lacan's and derrida's approaches to language and words because like for both of them this is all about language right and i think one thing that lacan does in this metaphor that derrida doesn't seem to do is how should i put it it's not just that the words lose meaning it's that the words lose attachment to what they're trying to refer to oh for the person can you give an example sure yeah let's just bring it back to theology so like well what is a good theology example well so for me the word yeah, you go for it. God has lost its attachment to Jesus. That's a big one. Uh, yeah, I would say that applies. I, I would say that applies. I would say a better example, not, not to say that that doesn't work, but I would say that a better example would be like, has your definition of salvation changed? Mm. Like, have you, did you previous, like kind of going back to our last episode, did you yeah. have you previously thought salvation is X and now you think salvation is Y? Like for you, salvation doesn't refer to that thing anymore. It refers to something sure. different. Oh, okay. okay. So okay. at one point, planet referred to Pluto and now it does not. Yes. Oh, mm. precisely. That just clicks. So you see why this is a good follow up to last episode. Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. So for. <laughs> so for people who want to read more, um, I have quite a few different things that we can link to in the show notes. There's a really good YouTube video that's 11 minutes long. It's pretty accessible if you're like into psychology. There's a couple good articles that we can link to. And there's like a really quick philosophy Wikipedia thing that you can read that's like in more simple terms. Like, here's what the quilting point is. Here's Lacan's uh, chain of desire in simple terms. Here's the basics of the idea. So we can link to all of that if you want to read more. But for us, I want to ask the question, when it comes to thinking about, <laughs> so are you guys, are, are we tracking? Are we good? We just got We're to tracking, the question. Yeah. Okay. What a Great. wild, yeah, dude. Okay. 
So when we think about raveling and losing a quilting point, whether that's like many along the way, like when you rip up buttons and it, it rips up more than one, or if you like rip up one button and you replace it with a new one, like kind of like w- with our thread metaphor, like sometimes you just need to rip out the bad thread and like re-sew it. But sometimes you pull it all apart and you're left with this, you're left with an unbundled mess of a couch. I think the biggest question I want to ask in thinking about all of this is how do you avoid the arrival fallacy? Which is, for those of us who don't know... Which is the idea that you have arrived. Oh. Completely. Mm. That there is no further place to get to, that you have things 100% figured out, that this is the end point, this is the end all be all. I think that I see this personally, just to (laughs) answer my own question, I think that I see this in Christian circles just as much as I see it in formerly Christian circles or in like deconstructing, raveling circles. Like I, I think that we all fall prey to this. I don't think it's any one group in the spectrum of faith and doubt. But I think it'd be really fascinating to like pull on the quilting point here and like consider what would it mean to like 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 as we've experienced those for ourselves, like kind of like going back to our last episode talking about like coming to knowledge and new knowledge and reshaping when we experience that slippage of a quilting point as we're pulling on threads, how do we not lose sight? Like, how do, how do we avoid mm. that arrival fallacy? Mm. To speak in terms of our metaphor, and especially the way we use it in a ball of yarn in our logo, what immediately springs to mind is that, you know, whatever we're in the process of raveling, um, like we often talk about a sweater, right? That yarn... Maybe we bought it as a sweater and it had a definite shape and it had a definite purpose. It was to keep us warm on cozy autumn nights after we went to the, you know, after we went to the corn maze and now we're sipping cider around a fire with friends and we need a sweater. So it had a purpose, it had a shape and it was identifiable. And I would even say that's a pretty tight quilting point. Like we say sweater, I said sweater and everyone pictured a sweater just now in their head. Yes, that is a great example. What I have always loved honestly probably the most about us using this metaphor of ravel is that we come out of the process still with the yarn still with Mm. the raw materials that once were in sweater shape but now you know i i tugged on one thread long enough and that bundle of thread slipped so long that at some point it could not be identified as the sleeve of that sweater anymore. But that didn't like get rid of the raw material. It's almost like a, I'm almost using kind of a reference to like matter cannot be created nor destroyed. And I don't think necessarily belief or knowledge can either. Mm. So we have the raw material. I mean, in my very specific, very real case, I recently in the last few months went from christian to non-christian but the reason i stick around here even though the show started very specifically as we talk about christian theology is because i still have raw material to work with and i still have questions about our world and the way it works and i still have a fundamental belief that these kind of conversations can a be fun and b be productive and c be life-giving and D, disagreement doesn't mean 
the shattering of relationship, right? Like Mm. all of those things can be true. The three of us can show up. We can disagree about something like the Trinity or epistemology. Like, uh, like it felt like we did last episode, but we still come to the table ready to hear about quilting points today because there's something else. There's still something of like a, an undergirding belief or in the metaphor I'm using, we still have the raw materials to work with. And I think I don't want to say like, I've got the, got it figured out how to avoid the arrival fallacy, but I think that's been a component for me so that I can confidently say, yeah, you know, I'm picking up a non-Christian label now, specifically atheists, and I'm laying down the Christian label but also I can acknowledge that that is a part of me still and I still have raw materials to work with and I still have beliefs about our world and the point in history we rest in side of, you know, what we call humanity and all those kind of things. And we can still talk about it. I think to answer your question much more directly, Josh, there is something of an attitude that embraces neuroplasticity. Mm. Mm. very succinctly i think that's like the 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 core of it like to acknowledge that our brains can and do change and that age doesn't you know as we quote unquote grow up that doesn't necessarily mean we're like wet cement cooling into a hard sidewalk um actually untrue that old dogs can't learn new tricks <laughs> and if you embrace that and use that basically as a mode to approach the world, uh, you'll never feel like you arrive because you still have someone to, hmm. to look at. Or even in the case of last episode, you still acknowledge that there are things out there that you don't know that you want to know. So you're going to go find it. What do you think, Emily? Where are you sitting with all this? I, I think about things in our world, things around us that constantly change, you know, rivers landforms landscapes and people for that matter you know like we just we change and i think we need to apply this understanding to the idea of pulling on threads like we're really never gonna have it all figured out and if i'm wrong and if the day does come where we do have it all figured out then what like what would the point be then mm. and if you were to ask me 10 years ago if i had it all figured out i would say hell no i don't and me today would say hell no i don't because there's so much of my life that has changed i'm a mom i have never had a toddler before i have one now and she's completely batshit crazy and i love her Um, but I don't have parenting figured out because I've never been a parent before. And it's not the same as having a pet. I'm just going to say that right now. It is not the same as having a pet. Um, you can train a pet. You can't train kids. Um, not according to Proverbs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, there, it just... I don't know why we would want to have it all figured out either. Mm. That's what I'm kind of drawn to is why would I want that? Mm. Like, I love the idea of 
pulling on a thread and seeing where it goes. And if it's no longer a sweater, then so be it. But I want to just keep pulling anyways, because then maybe something new will be formed from it. Like the idea of having yarn. I think about a lady in my church who makes our prayer quilts and our prayer shawls and Afghans. And I do blessings over them. So she brings them to the office and we do a blessing for the person that's going to receive it. And I, you know, thank the hands that have made it. And Mm. I just think about how the art of making what she does is the very act of pulling on it. Mm. She is taking it from its form of being a ball and taking it out. So she's pulling on the strand and making it into something new. That to me is just a beautiful image of like being pulled is the point of it all. It's not the end product necessarily because while the Afghan and the prayer shawl are great, I know for her, her satisfaction is making the item itself and Mm. the prayer that she does over it and the pulling of the yarn and seeing it unfold gets her more excited than the end product itself. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Emily, do you feel like you've always had this attitude as a Methodist? Oh, good question. Because I know I haven't always had this attitude. Yeah, actually, I I think I have. And Hmm. I think, I don't even know if it's because of my Methodist upbringing. I think it's a lot to do with just my personality. I know for me, like, I know that we're both, we we, like are kind of similar in this way that like, I'm very go with the flow. Like so much can go wrong with a plan. And I'm like, well, you know, this is what it is now. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I mean, not that I don't have a bad day and like, get annoyed at people but like i i feel like i'm very go with the flow especially these days but i know for me when it came to beliefs and belief change like when i first started to like feel some of those slippages and like feel like i had looser quilting points and now i have that language to put to it i was not comfortable with that at all (laughs) like Mm. like it wasn't like a huge like immediate mental crisis for me but i i remember like I don't know. I guess it was like really case dependent sometimes because like some things would come up and I'd be like, oh, Christians can believe in evolution. Okay. But then other things I would be like wrestling with for just years and I'd be like, I just don't even know what to think about this. Like I I can like rest in this like cognitive dissonance, but part of me would be like, 
but for how long? Like, how long am I not going to know this? I don't know if I'm okay with not knowing this or like, mm. like, I feel like at some point I should arrive in an opinion and I would feel this big guilt sometimes at not having an opinion theologically. I think this is like true for me personality wise in some ways too. Like <laughs> I, I have a tendency to like see things from all sides, so to speak. But when it came to like theological opinions, I would often like have this like twinge of guilt for like being like, well, yeah, I can acknowledge that like Christians can disagree and have different opinions, but like, where do I stand? Like, I don't know. I don't know what to think. And it was this, I think what I was feeling was feeling detached from those Mm. like signifiers to the signified. I wasn't finding the meaning in a way that I used to. And in those moments, I think I like felt more uncomfortably than not that I had not arrived, but I think I still expected to arrive. Mm. If that makes sense. Like I expected to like find the right opinion. Like even though I had like realized that like, Oh, like the one that I was raised with, like might not be it. Like there might be more to this. Um, there's people smarter than me who thought longer and harder, but I think I still expected to arrive. And I think even as like my beliefs, started to shift more and I was like pulling on more threads. I think that it's been difficult for me to get to the point where I'm like, I, I don't know if I ever will arrive when it comes to certain opinions. Like some things I, I now know that I don't believe or some things I do believe, mm-hmm. but I think that like overall it was difficult for me to get to a place where I was like accepting of the self that I may never find meaning in those things again. Or like, I I may not find a new signifier to tie to the signified or a new signified that those signifier words refer to. I may never find a new view of Mm. eschatology. Like that, that might just remain empty for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's what feels so apt to me about using Lacan's framework here and applying it to the personal experience of faith and doubt. because it feels a lot more focused on the individual's experience than Derrida's deconstruction does. Like they're, they're obviously referring to like very similar things, but like Derrida's deconstruction is more about the text and like the way that the text loses meaning in itself versus like the individual's experience of finding meaning in things and words. Mm. And I think that just like, like slightly shifting that emphasis and like describing like how meaning slips for the individual. I personally think that's a cooler emphasis. It feels a lot more human and descriptive of the typical experience, but I don't know if it makes it easier per se. And that's like kind of what led me to the question of like, how do you like when you experience those slippages, how do you, how do you like not get lost in the, like, this is it. Hmm. Yeah. Or in the despairing question, is this it? Totally. Mm. Or, or even in the expectant, when will I get it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Like when, uh, you know, yeah. When will I be visited on the mountaintop of Sinai? Mm-hmm. Cause I've been waiting for it for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't happen, what do you do? Right. Is this it? Yeah. That can be a really lonely place. I don't know if this would apply, but it just popped into my brain. And I tell my campers this 
all the time. Don't anticipate. Participate. participate. <laughs> yep. I think that I think at, that actually could apply here. Yeah. Uh, do you Steven doesn't think so. <laughs> no, I just have nothing to add. I think it's so succinct and so good. <laughs> do you think, Josh, we seem to be speaking of these slippages in terms of something that happens to us mm. and not something we choose. Mm. Am I picking up on that correctly or is there nuance? I, I don't know enough about Lacan's framework to say that there's choice involved or not. I think Does that a slippage maybe indicate a change in like the object of desire. Sort of. Actually, that is I think that's closer to it. I think that it's just more of a broad I, I think it's more broadly referring to when the signifier and the signified either change meaning for oneself or between groups of people. Like one example that I saw was giving the example of freedom. Like if you ask a right winger, what is freedom versus a left winger? What is freedom? You're going to get different answers because those people um, while using the same signifier are referring to slightly different ideas and abstractness about the signified. Mm -hmm. So I think that like, I think that you could like wrap up choice in there, but I don't think it's necessarily referring to choice or not. Hmm. Wrong question is what you're saying. Could be both. Could be neither. Yeah, it could be both. I mean, yeah, it could be relevant. Like, but I think that is an interesting point in that are there, are, are you trying to get at like, are there instances where we choose that slippage? Yeah, I guess. Hmm. Or like at least what is our, what is the role of our, independence or our ability to influence ourselves or the world i think in some ways yes like you can in in some ways i think this is some of the warning of like be careful who you listen to because they can change your mind like that is that is mm -hmm. real like mm -hmm. if you like take in different information that is contrary to what you were taught or previously understood something as for better for worse your mind can be changed so i think that in some ways you can willingly choose for these slippages to happen. Um, and sometimes that's like on a growth trajectory and other times uh, you're not really learning much. <laughs> like sometimes, mm. sometimes you are taking in new information that is more like, uh, you know, for lack of a better example, conspiratorial or sure. um, like tying things together that like aren't really there, but they're like trying to like, actually that, that is a good example. I think of a, a different way in which the quilting point happens is when like new quilting points happen between signifiers and signified where people like try to make literal connections and say oh no this is referring to x is referring to y actually mm. Mm. so like i think it goes both ways to your point about choice like it can be for better or for worse yeah the phenomenon of x is actually equal to y reminds me of our creed episode where we talked about the sparkle creed like almost in a way like a reframing or a repackaging of like some beliefs about God in Sparkle Creed or the Ravel Creed that we wrote by the end of it. Maybe that's why it felt so threatening, especially like on first blush or when it first like went viral is because people were like, no, 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 X means X mm. and not Y, which is like the root of a lot of philosophy is A is A and A is not non-A. Well, I think that's... it. I think that's exactly right in that like people will feel threatened when you start to say that 
like that quilting point is not there for you. Like, especially in theology, I think like when you like start to voice to someone, I don't think salvation means that. Yeah. Or I don't think Jesus did X. I think that that's what gets really complicated. Cause now socially. we have warring signifiers between us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you've like tied it to a new signifier or if, or if you've like tied new meaning to it at all, like maybe you just have like let go of that meaning entirely. Yeah. Like I feel like your example with God is actually a, a pretty good example. I'm, I'm sure that applies. I'm not exactly sure how to word it in terms of like signifier signified, but yeah, I, I think that that fits. Well, I mean, it struck me that a, another way of referring to this is anchor point, because how many times have we heard Christians use anchor anchor in a storm? Look to Jesus, mm. you know? Actually, that's a really good point. I hadn't, uh, <laughs> I hadn't made that connection. That's kind of interesting, though. Mm, yeah. Do you think that that's ultimately why many are threatened by those, like, loose, by, like, those connections and quilting points seeming looser or, like, potentially slipping, is that they're ultimately afraid of people losing that connection point to God? entirely yeah well so in 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 this point you're actually threatening their signifier to say like hey we're calling this anchor point or we're calling god our anchor and that comes with all of what being an anchor anchor and functioning as an like the anchor literally does keep ships from drifting in storms so if you're going to change the definition of anchor then what is anything anymore right like that I feel like that's the real threat that Christians started feeling when like postmodernism started hitting the philosophical mm. scene because they were like, we can't tether to anything anymore if we can't agree that mm. A is A and A is not non-A, you know? Mm. So if you're going to say that the anchor no longer is anchor, either we don't call that anymore or that doesn't mean anything, I can see why that causes some degree of panic or at least discomfort. Yeah. I have another image of like, cause I, I, I feel like I heard a lot of like CS Lewis invoked in conversations like this, especially like if you're exploring theology and you're looking into like alternatives, like, Oh, I heard there's other there. I heard there's like six other pretty solid and popular atonement theories aside from substitutionary mm. atonement then but then you have a lot of people like no, no no this is the one this is the right one don't look over there don't look at the six others behind the curtain the christus victor no <laughs> you know um <laughs> that's it's the kind of uh it's the kind of thing that i think growing up my little brand of evangelicalism really liked to use a c.s lewisism which is like further up further in and and to me that just always still felt like it rang like a dead bell kind of because I don't know for me I just kind of never knew what that meant and even more recently just in considering what a relationship with God means I, I don't know what that means um, but like invoking further up further in always to me basically meant uh, more devotional time. Oh, totally. In the morning or like, I don't, like, what are we talking about though? Like, so here's another example. Um, you hear about these, the, uh, these Buddhist practitioners who are now able, uh, you know, like people go to them 
for their retreats or their ashrams or whatever. And it's like, this guy meditates like 16 hours a day. And it's like, okay, great. But that also, that feels like the Buddhist further up and further in to me of like, what are we Mm. accomplishing? Or like, are you living your life Mm. at that point? It, it feels like a stagnation to me. And that's what I feel Mm. like the arrival fallacy is, Mm. is like, stagnant it also reminds me of like we talk about the heat death of the universe that means the universe reaching an equilibrium of absolute zero temperature meaning life is no more motion is no more that's the heat death of the universe right and like so we've arrived but that's not life giving it's literally life taking Mm. or i think about my favorite versions of vacations where like and this is personal preference. I won't even try to make this a universal, but I couldn't, I couldn't imagine going to like one Island in Hawaii for two weeks and staying in like the same place. Like I know, yes, you can experience the culture and like actually make a relationship and like have like make friends or whatever. But like I have an upcoming vacation to Scotland coming up. And one of the most exciting parts to me is that I am over the 18 days, 17 nights that I will be there. I am not staying in the same place for more than three nights in a row. Mm. We're like, we're moving on. We're going to a new culture. We're going to a new place. It's all within Scotland. So I suppose Scotland is the destination or we've arrived in Scotland according to the airport and customs, but we're still moving, you know? Mm. And like, that's the kind of vacation that I find both restful and invigorating because, uh, because, uh, it's not like I constantly want to just be like living a little too far in the future and just stressing about the next thing that's scheduled or the plan that's coming after the one I'm at. But there, there, there is something to like, no, this whole vacation kind of represents a story that we get to tell ourselves later about the journey we took across this country. And I, I've already projected into the future. I love the idea of like experiencing panic because I'm not used to driving on the other side of the road. And Dixie and I have already prepared each other for these kind of moments of like our mantra for this vacation is going to be, Hey, we're living the story now. Oh, you know, like the story we're going to tell 10 years from now about this vacation. We're living it now. So let's not get too stressed about it. Let's live it. You know, there's problems to be solved. Maybe our, our luggage gets lost. So what we're living the story now, you know? That's life-giving to me. That's I like that. That's dancing. That's dynamic. I love that. Emily, any other thoughts? I, I feel like you've been ruminating a lot, even though we've heard from you, but I'm, I'm just curious, like after all of this conversation, me covering a lot of ground with uh, like bringing up the quilting point and then like trying to relate it back to theology and raveling, where's it sitting with you? What are you, what are you thinking of? What are you arriving at or not? Well done. Well done. <laughs> I think. This just gets me excited for the future of thinking and mm. like meta. That's fun. Think and thinking about what am I gonna think about this in the future? Mm. Yeah, because like I had said before, I'm not the same person that I was, and I can only imagine what I'm gonna be like in the future and where will my brain be at? Where will my heart be at? What will Ravel 
look like? Like, what is the concept of this podcast going to look like as we keep pulling on threads and developing, growing in listeners and in friendships on the Discord and the endless amount of possibility that is potentially in front of us gets me excited, which makes me believe that I don't and I hope I don't. I can't say for sure, but I really hope I don't reach a point of like I've arrived. Mm. Like I don't, I just don't want to settle with this. I don't want to settle on how I think about God. I don't want to settle on how I act in the world and behave in the world mm. towards my neighbor and to stranger and to everyone in between. Like there's just so much. Why would I want it to just? Why would I want it all to end? Oh. I think that's a very biblical idea, actually. Like, I think about the first handful of, like, long-form chapters in the book of Proverbs, and I've always loved this idea of uh, wisdom is she that beckons you out from your comfort zone in your house. Like, when you read those first few chapters of Proverbs, it's like, oh, you're comfortable inside your city walls in your house with your family? Wisdom is that that beckons you to your threshold. And then wisdom is that that beckons you to the gates of the city. Mm-hmm. And then wisdom is what beckons you to the wilderness. Oh, that's good stuff. I think for me, what I'm left with at the end of this conversation is, is a reference to floating signifiers, which whoa, I had heard the term floating signifiers like probably about a year ago. Somebody brought it up in relation to like something completely different. I hadn't even heard about, I've heard of Lacan before, but I hadn't heard about the quilting point and all of this stuff yet. And it's like so clear to me after like reading into a little bit about like what he means by the signifier and the signified and things being quilted together to make meaning for us. It's very clear to me that like floating signifiers are all around us. And uh, as much as I could rant right now, I'm not going to, but like, uh, for example, like the, the freedom example that I brought up before. Mm-hmm. We're like, there's just so many things in theology and not in theology that people will use the same words for with different definitions, and it causes all sorts of crazy confusion. Mm, <laughs> and yeah. to be honest, I think that just as much as theology falls prey to that, I think that as we unravel theology and doubt, I think that we also fall prey to that. Like, for instance, I think personally, the term deconstruction has become a floating signifier where too many people are using it to refer to different things because their quilting points are different mm-hmm. and not that that is a bad thing, but I I think functionally that is what's happening. And I really love how the, I'm just going to soapbox. I, I love how the quilting point framework seems to really, really fit as a personal heuristic for unraveling faith and doubt in that, like just describing the experience. And it's like, in my mind, impossible to misinterpret. <laughs> like it's impossible to undo the quilting point of what the quilting point means. Cause it's like very specific about like, like meaning. And of course you can disagree with like psychoanalysis and like there, there's like tons of like really weird stuff in Freudian thought about like the phallus and like all this like really weird intellectual gibberish that like many people discredit, but like mm. something like this seems very like, applicable to me in terms of like belief and belief change and it feels really uh, i was gonna say like rooted <laughs> but like <laughs> what's a almost like um 
what what's the what's a good term for like unshakable but like i guess maybe just like dependable i think that when you I, this is the thing i was thinking about throughout the thread of our whole conversation here in terms of like when you go through belief and belief shift and you're like thinking about whether or not you have arrived or will arrive i think that it's really easy to feel like you don't have something to depend on and i think that when you have a framework that literally just like puts words to what you're going through and that everybody goes through this to some extent religious or not i think that it feels a lot more grounding mm. and that doesn't have to mean you've arrived right it's like a metaphorical north star that we can navigate by yeah, yeah. like you are not the only human who has unquilted unraveled their belief in the afterlife or anything mm. like Certainly not the first. Won't be the last. So that's what I'm left with. Well, Emily, how do you want to quilt this one up? Button it up. Button it up. That, that was better. Button it up's better. Button it up. With each thread that we pull, we make new discoveries. We find new things to be unsure about. But one thing that is constant is the idea of community and the idea of raveling out. We love this adventure and we hope that you do too. This was Emily in the last bit of the episode just now. Ready? This is my impression. Yeah. Since Stephen got one, I get one. That's the rule. Sorry, Emily. That was last episode. I can only imagine. No. <laughs> what will my brain feel? <laughs> that's an impression of me. Yeah. That's, that's immediately what I thought I of. Just only because you said the phrase, I can only imagine. Mm. Okay, that's yeah. fair. <laughs> Got you there. That's fair.